Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. On this episode, Brian talks with McNeil Lyons, owner of tour company Yellowstone Insight. McNeil previously worked for the National Park Service as an interpretive park ranger beginning in 1996. I'm here with McNeil Lyons, owner of a tour company, uh, owner of the tour company Yellowstone Insight. Uh, McNeil previously worked for the National Park Service. Uh, McNeil is also a published writer, photographer, naturalist. You can see some of his image that were captured uh, in Rolling Stone, USA Today, Budget Travel, and other regional magazines. Uh, he's been a featured. He has been featured as a park ranger for, for a Discovery Channel documentary, and as a naturalist for Yellowstone's DVDs. Uh, McNeil, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me as part of your podcast today. Uh, we're very excited. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit, especially given what you're doing um, for Yellowstone Insight. We want to talk to you a little bit about family fun in Yellowstone. So if if you're the quintessential family of four or five heading out for the summer, uh, man, this is a big park. And so obviously <laughs> it's a lot to bite off. Plus, uh, there are going to be crowds, right? This is a very, very popular park, as you as you well know. So I uh, wanted to get pick your brain a little bit about how to tackle this. If you're, if you're that parent and you're trying to figure out um, how to plan this for kids, little kids, and maybe even uh, older kids. So, uh, you know, look, we, we, we learned that you uh, crafted an award-winning program titled Yellowstone for Families, which is why you're the right guy. And it uh, looks like you won some awards with that too. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, that program? Does it still exist? And, and what, exactly, what exactly is it? Sure. Uh, so uh, part of my time in Yellowstone, it's, it's been about 20 years or so uh, working in this ecosystem in a variety of different capacities. Uh, part of that was with the National Park Service, but I also was what they called a resident instructor for the Yellowstone Association, which is now called Yellowstone Forever. And a program that we crafted, I think it was back in 2001, was called Yellowstone for Families. And it's been a while since I've uh, worked with them on that, and I'm sure they've made some changes. But yes, it is still an ongoing part of their what they call lodging learning programs. And um, you recently spoke with Matt Olin, who works for the National Park Service, and he currently leads a residential educational program called Expedition Yellowstone. So that's the uh, uh, government-funded-based program. And then what I did, because I, I used to work for that program as well when I when I moved to Yellowstone in, in the year 2000. So what I tried to do is craft and, and base uh, the Yellowstone for Families program uh, somewhat off the mold of that Expedition Yellowstone program. So there's a multi-day experience where you have a personal guide, and then we go to different parts of the park and experience different subject matters over different uh, individual days. So something like uh, a, a geology-based day and then a wildlife uh, ecology-based day and then a human history. And so that worked really well. And we tried to incorporate a variety of different teaching styles through this experiential learning experience, uh, offering photography, painting, hands-on in the landscape through seeing, touching, hearing, and smelling the natural elements that Yellowstone has to offer. So it was a pretty pretty uh, wide experience for families and it won awards. It did a really good job. We know a little bit about this um, experiential learning. Uh, our kids' school uh, are big believers in that. But can you kind of dig in exactly what that is, number one? And then number two, uh, you know, for someone who doesn't know what this is, and, and, and your programs may sound very edu- heavy educational, but remember, this is vacation. So also tell us about the fun that comes along with, uh, with your programs as well. 
Oh, sure. So, uh, well, just uh, I guess the idea of experiential learning in my mind is uh, more of a hands-on approach where uh, you are in immersing yourself in the landscape. And there's different teaching styles that that uh, that work better for some and, and not so well for others. So the photography uh, has been kind of a, a fun part of my life and been a hobby for quite some time. So I wanted to incorporate photography into the Elson for Families program. So back in the earlier days before cell phones and digital cameras all over the place, uh, we were using the old disposable one-time use cameras. Um, and we would give them to each of the, the kids in the program so they could uh, uh, document Elson through their lens and filter. And then we would print the images and then give them to the families the last day of the program. So that was something that uh, is a uh, a kind of experience uh, learning uh, aspect through through their their eyes, but then the painting part of it was great too because uh, there would be families that the dynamic was maybe grandma and grandfather and and the kids the grandkids or it'd be mom and dad and their children, so uh, we would have everybody get to the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, which is in my eyes one of the seven wonders of the world. I don't know what my other six are, but but that's one <laughs> of the seven. Um, but, uh, but we would have them sit down and uh, take a, a little time to paint and watercolor. And it would be like incorporating some of that human history of Yellowstone with Thomas Moran, who, who was a very famous watercolor artist who helped uh, make Yellowstone what it is today by showing the wonders through his uh, medium of, of, um, of watercolor. And then... Um, Experiential learning in the sense of, uh, as I said, seeing, touching, and hearing and smelling the natural elements of Yellowstone, thinking about uh, walking out on a trail and smelling sagebrush after a rainstorm, how pungent that very aromatic odor is on the landscape, but then seeing a pile of bones and trying to interpret what that, uh, what happened there and, and pick up the bones and, and maybe uh, try to piece sections together uh, and, and this isn't disgusting. This is all dried and, and very white bleached out bone pile, maybe of like a, an elk or, or a bison or something. And uh, so hands on and just really immersing yourself in the moment. And I think that's what experiential learning is for, for me and, and how I try to incorporate that into uh, what I do today as a private, private guide um, in Yellowstone. Yeah. So let's, let's pivot towards that. So now you have, your own company, Yellowstone Insight. So you have this, as you described, um, this unique and great outdoor classroom in a lot of ways, right, where you can really get up close um, and use those five sentences, uh, five senses and you know, build upon whatever knowledge you had coming in or if, if you're starting from scratch. So tell us a little bit about Yellowstone Insight and some of the things you do there and how you, McNeil, how your company caters um, to, to families. Sure. Well, uh, I think that uh, offering walkabouts uh, for families with children to get out of the vehicle is, is key because uh, kids, as you well know, being a, a parent, uh, they have a, a lot of energy and uh, and you can't just sit in a vehicle all day. So uh, let's say kind of a, an idea of a, a family tour with me would be we would start early to uh, to catch some early morning wildlife watching uh, and then stop and go. I think a lot of people ex uh, expect that by getting off of the road, you're going to see more wildlife. But in all honesty, Brian, you, you walk on one trail and you're only limited to that one canyon or that one meadow. 
Right. But if you stick to the vehicle and you kind of do the stop and go in the early morning hours, what you're taking advantage of is when the animals are most active in the cool hours of morning. And uh, so uh, you can uh, uh, drive over 20 miles or so and see multiple valleys and ridge tops and, 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 and meadows and river bottom areas. And so you can get more uh, sightings out of your day. And then after the morning, we'll have some breakfast and get some energy in the in the system and then go for a walkabout. So I like off-trail excursions where we can explore the landscape through that ob- observational-based learning. Uh, I think that's something that is uh, key to have for families uh, with children of any age, uh, young and old. But do it in a safe way because I think uh, uh, there's probably a lot of neighbors around you in the, in the state of New York that uh, are very nervous about the... Uh, wildlife that we have around here. And so uh, safety is first and foremost. Uh, walking in Yellowstone where there's grizzly bears and mountain lions and wolves, oh my, that can be dangerous and scary in your mind. But the truth and honesty is uh, that uh, you play by a, a certain couple rules and it can be really uh, an, a wonderful experience and not something to shy away from. Hey, listen, uh, uh, you know, for all due respect to the wolves and the bears, nothing's more scary than a Long Island raccoon fed on the best garbage Long Island can produce. <laughs> they, they they can be pretty mean and scary. So, uh, But in all seriousness, I, I, I hear you. And, and actually, you know, Danielle and I can attest to that in, in, in an extreme in terms of your uh, stop and go. We took the snow coach in, and part of that, you know, naively, I thought it was just a conveyance to get to the snow lodge. We Obviously, we went in the winter. Uh, but of course, of course, it was, uh, you know, the snow coach, we were able to see just from the jump a lot of wildlife in the winter because we started off very early. And of course, we had mm-hmm. to traverse slowly in the snow coach. And we same thing, we did stop and go, probably uh, not as long as the stops as you would do because uh, it was 20 below. So we, we, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we were outside for as much as we could stand it. And then we went in. But I, I think... I agree with you. It's the best way to go. And again, you know, we saw that firsthand and even in the wintertime. So uh, I can understand. Also, I imagine it's a way, you know, you said you have kids, you want to burn some energy, but also if they're little kids, there's only so much energy. So if you, you know, started off in an 8 a.m. hike on one trail, you know, maybe I'm just speaking to my, uh, you know, for my kids, you know, by 10 o'clock, they're going to be cashed out for a while, especially if it's summer and it's hot. So I think it's a pretty great way to leg. Uh, to leg into it. Um, so which is the kind of the next thing I want to talk about. Uh, you know, we talk, this has been a recurring theme in our podcast is uh, with all the parks is look at there's, these parks are popular. There's ways to avoid the crowd. So with your tour company or even going back to when you were a ranger, how would you advise someone to avoid the crowd, see what you need to see at Yellowstone, but also avoid the crowds? Uh, that's an excellent question, and it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you don't want everybody to know the answer because then it's going to change the dynamic. Um, so uh, there's an old phrase I'm sure you've heard called the early bird catches the worm, yeah. and, and that holds very true uh, to Yellowstone. Get started early for the wildlife watching to get on the roads before your, uh, your crowds start. And uh, it can be it can be difficult as a as a parent with a five year old. I have a daughter who's in kindergarten. I understand the difficulties of getting out early and getting everything and everybody ready, uh, but it, it is worth it. And the typical visitor to Yellowstone uh, is at the entry gates around nine or ten a.m. in the morning, and uh, they're checking out of their hotel. They're getting their breakfast. They're getting to the gas station, 
And then they roll up to the, the, the entry gate and there's a line of cars. You don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and so, so if you can get everybody ready to roll a little bit earlier, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to kind of beat the crowds of summer. Um, you know, there's an old joke here that says uh, that we have nine months of winter and three months of visitors in Yellowstone. <laughs> so um, June, July, and August are the three months where we obviously have the highest, highest count, highest visitors, uh, number of visitors. Uh, but you can still enjoy Yellowstone. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to go there during those months. But, uh, but the truth be told, you can really uh, have a wonderful experience uh, by getting started earlier and then taking a walk. That, that's it. Right. And look, at, this, is, this is also a recurring theme. Um, obviously, Yellowstone is a very, very big park. So it is not hard. And you don't have to go far, I would imagine, to get off the beaten, pa- uh, beaten path. You know, if you do the, the boardwalk around Old Faithful, that's going to be crowded. But even there, I, I imagine, or I'll even ask you this, if you were there, uh, you know, at the lodges and you were at the boardwalk uh, where Old Faithful is, how far would you have to go to find a trail where you could get away from, ma- not, not that you'll be by yourself, but you'll get away from a massive crush of crowds on a July Saturday? Sure. Not, not very far. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the current number is. I think it's something like 1% of Yellowstone's visitors go more than a mile off the road. So when you're talking about four plus million people that are coming through the park uh, in, in, in a year, uh, uh, that number seems a little bit larger than 1%, but, but you can really, in the height of summertime, uh, step off and, and, and have a place to yourself. Um, Matt Olin, in your, in your other podcast, he mentioned uh, a great uh, hike that he recommended called uh, Lone Star Geyser. Yeah. So that's not very far from Old Faithful. You could walk to the trailhead. It adds a little bit more time, or you can drive there. It's only two and a half mile walk in, but it, it, it follows the Firehole River. And then great part about it is that you can just step off the uh, trail with a snack and, and be right by the river and, and uh, catch a little uh, American oozel or water dipper, a little gray bird diving and looking for insects. Uh, you might uh, uh, see a bald eagle perched in the in one of the dead trees nearby the river edge. There's things that you can uh, find and experience and have it all to yourself within a mile and a half to two miles of um, of Old Faithful proper. Right. And in Mammoth Hot Springs, there's another great trail called uh, the Beaver Ponds Trail. It has a little bit of elevation gain and loss into it, but but it's a wonderful trail where you're going to get away from that hustle and bustle of the uh, the parking lot, the hotel, the dining areas very, very quickly just by walking up one hill behind the hotel. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I kind of set you up for that uh, that layup because it's uh... – uh, again, it's a recurring theme, and, and I, I certainly want to hammer that home, and it's been our experience. And also, you're right, getting up early uh, is is so key, and not only Yellowstone, but any park. So, and actually, Danielle hammered that in my head a long, long time ago, where, you know, because it's not just the kids, uh, you know, sometimes dad likes to sleep in, too. <laughs> and so, sure. uh, uh, this was way, way, way before kids, we were in Bryce, and uh, I did not want to get up before dawn to see the sunrise over the hoodoos. And Daniel dragged me out. And of course, I, you know, here we are. That was 02. Here we are 15 years later. And I, it's one of the more memorable parts of our trip was, you know, seeing sunrise over Bryce. So, uh, again, I, I, I learned the hard way. Get up out and early. And uh, it's a uh, – and look, you can always, especially if it's summertime – you know, that's what the hammock's for at your campsite, right? You can always take a nap in the afternoon. Right. Uh, and recharge, that's right. Right. 
Um, you know, right. kind, of, kind of have the same rhythm as the animals, right? So, uh, well, look at getting back to kids. What do you think, McNeil? What do you think the kids like the most um, on your tours about about their visit? What 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 do they really dig into the most? Well, it seems like uh, my stories are something that they, they really like. Um, sometimes when the uh, when the wildlife is getting a little bit uh, on the quiet side, uh, I have a, a wealth of stories, whether it's personal experiences in Yellowstone regarding interactions with wildlife or uh, historical factual stories about survival of uh, people being lost in Yellowstone back in the earlier days. Or uh, it, it, There's uh, great stories to tell, and it seems like uh, once I get on a roll, uh, the kids are another story, another story. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think stories are a big part of something that, that the kids get out of it. But also I was going to mention digiscoping is something that's a really great way to get kids involved with nature. So it's something that a young child that looking through a set of binoculars or a spotting scope can be difficult. But if you attach a smartphone to the scope and put it into a camera mode, uh, the child or the, the, the young young kid can look at a grizzly bear that's two miles away very easily through the, the screen of the phone that's attached to the eyepiece of a spotting scope. So digiscoping uh, can really help uh, aid in, in the kid's uh, or the, the, the child's experience because it can be difficult where I can't see it. I, don't, I, I can't see that far. It's just a little black spot. But right. then you put the, the, the camera to the, the scope and it opens up a whole nother world. So I think that's another great uh, uh, adaptation with our, our, um, our uh, what am I trying to say? The, just the ever increasing uh, uh, opportunities that we have. I don't know how to phrase it differently. No, but, no, that, um, you're exactly right. And I think that's a, it's a great tip because our kids have had that same problem or even something like a telescope, right? So using the available technology to really enhance the, uh, you know, technology is not just the enemy when, when we're in the park, right? We right. do want to put our phones down, but at the same time, let's, if we can use it to enhance our visit, might as well, right? So uh, from anything from this or, you know, Danielle's got a lot of bird watching apps that she's got teed up and ready to go. But listen, speaking of being teed up, I can't let this go. Um, would you mind sharing a quick story with us just to just to get a sense of what uh, um, what you would tell when things were getting a little bit slow on the trail? Sure, sure. So um, let's see. This one can be backed up with some pictures that uh, that the folks that listen to your podcast can see on my website. It's uh, something that's on my blog. But it was a wonderful experience that incorporated. Uh, a bit of pure wildness, uh, and sometimes wildness does not paint a pretty picture, but uh, uh, but this was one of these moments where the guests that I had in the morning, I asked, as I usually do, what are your expectations for the day? And they said, uh, bears and wolves, please. I said, okay, well, there's the bar has been set now. Um, and uh, I said, well, the, the area where I anticipate seeing wolves is, is socked in with fog, so we're going to get to the high country where I anticipate seeing some black bears and grizzly bears. And we went up to a place called Dunraven Pass, and in the high, high elevation trees of, of the white bark pine, we ended up finding our grizzly bear, and we found our black bear, and everybody was happy. And an hour into the tour, we decided to uh, slowly work our way back down towards where I anticipated the wolves. And as the sun was rising in the east, and we're driving down the hill in a southerly direction, I rounded a corner, and right in front of us are nine wolves of the canyon pack. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a Hayden Valley pack, Hayden pack at the time. 
nine wolves are right in our road, uh, in our lane, right in front of us. And uh, we put on our brakes. They were maybe 200 yards in front of us. When we stopped, they stopped. And on the oncoming lane, two other cars came around the corner, saw the wolves as well. Uh, Those other cars were not quite as savvy with wildlife watching as we were. And so the doors flew open and people with cameras jumped out of their cars and kind of harassed the wolves off the roadside. So my guests, who I just met an hour and a half earlier, said, hey, can we get out too? And I said, no, no, no. You know, the wolves are are going into the meadow and they're going up into the woods. I think uh, I've got a better idea. Let's let's try my guiding instincts on this one. Let's, Let's see if we can make this work. See, as they turned into the woods, into the meadow and into the woods, they made a U-turn. So now the wolves were going in our direction. Uh, So I said, well, let's uh, try to stick in front of them. Uh, We'll get down in front, park, quietly wait for them in in the easterly light on the open grassy slopes above us. Hopefully the wolves will come out in profile view and we'll have a wonderful experience. So uh, I believe, Brian, in the rule of four Ps, patience, practice, persistence pays off. And, and it worked out perfectly in this scenario. We got to an area where we were able to pull off the road. We opened the doors, closed the doors quietly. We stood near the car. And it was early enough in the morning. There wasn't a lot of traffic. And I was anticipating them to walk out into this meadow and it was going to be perfect. Well, nothing happened. Hmm. So five minutes, ten minutes, another two minutes passed. I'm just getting ready to pull the plug. When one of the women in our in our group, she said, there's an elk. And I wanted to say, shh, we're not looking for the prey. We're looking for the predator. And uh, we're looking for the wolf. And she said, there's a wolf. And out of the tree line, Brian, came a cow elk and the alpha female to this pack, a beautiful, uncollared white wolf with her two and a half year old daughter, a beautiful black wolf. The two of them are trying to work this elk as best as they can. And in our eyes, we see her as, as a healthy animal. It's October. She's uh, got a full belly uh, of grass. She's been eating well. She looks really great. But why is she the chosen one? So the uh, wolves um, were trying their best to get at her, and it wasn't really working. So she made the choice to run. Well, is it easier to run uphill or downhill? It was much easier downhill. And what was downhill? The road and us. We were placed perfectly because she ran directly towards us down the hillside. No cars were coming. It was pure quiet, except the rustling of the grass as they were running. And as they came down the road, the daughter, the two-and-a-half-year-old, she's well-versed in, in hunting techniques, and she's been taught well by her mother time and time again how to do this. And uh, she knew that she had to step up her game a little bit. Mom was behind trying to get the elk to slow down uh, without being kicked in the head. And the, the daughter decided to put it into a faster gear, and she lunged on the neck of the elk. Now, um, this story might sound pretty graphic, and uh, maybe I should have put that in the beginning. Um, it's okay. But, uh, but there's no blood. There's no blood that you're going to be witness to in the images, but uh, it's a fact of nature. There's predator-prey interactions that occur every day in Yellowstone, and this is just a moment where we were witness to that. So the, uh, the black wolf held on with all she had, but uh, she didn't have a very good grip. And as she uh, lost her grip, she fell in front of the elk on a downward slope, not the place you want to be when a four to 500 pound animal is, uh, is behind you. Uh, so she might've gotten stomped or, or trampled upon, but uh, it didn't really break her stride. She just popped right back up and came down running. They crossed the road and went through a meadow and they stood 50 yards behind us. 
we were just in shock. Our jaws were dropped. We weren't making any noise, and it was pure silence. The black wolf jumped on the neck one more time, and the elk went down. So from start of the hunter, start of the, uh, the, uh, the chase to the ending point where the elk uh, met her end, it was only four minutes, maybe four and a half minutes tops. But the reason why I tell the story um, is that there's two parts to it. One is that uh, wolves are selectively hunting, and wolves are looking for a little bit easier opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want you to go away from this by thinking that they're always going after the sick, the weak, the young, or the old. Sometimes an animal in its prime does make a mistake. And occasionally they do uh, juke left instead of juking right when you have seven wolves on your tail and you make a mistake or there's a, a badger hole that they, they trip up into. So things do happen when a healthy animal can be taken. But if you're a wolf, selectively hunting is going to try to make your life a little bit easier because you're taking food down with your face, with your teeth. And that's a very difficult thing to do to get, to get uh, a meal on the table for you and your family. So one point is you're risking your life every time you go on a hunt uh, just to be able to get food where you can get kicked in the head, a broken leg, a broken rib, and a punctured lung. Or uh, the second message is I did a little Yellowstone, what I like to call, Brian, CSI, Yellowstone Carcass Investigation. (laughs) And uh, one week to the day of, of that chase and that takedown, I went back with with another couple guests and we decided to take a closer look at the bones that were, were left over. And I know for a fact that over the course of those seven days, the nine wolves fed a couple coyotes, a mother grizzly bear and her cub were in there. There were ravens and bald eagles. So uh, the food for the masses concept, a lot of creatures benefited from this one animal that, that uh, was taken down by the pack of wolves, not just the wolves. So after everybody had said, um, it was okay to go back in and as a human and look around and see what we could find. I was looking for the jaw, the lower mandible of the cow elk that was taken. And at quick inspection, she had really worn down teeth, which is an indicator of age. So again, going back seven days, we see this as a healthy animal in her prime. But what was really the case by looking at the carcass scene investigation was that she was an elderly animal. But uh, more importantly, she had a really bad abscess tooth. And that abscess tooth had worn away into the bone that gave her probably a lot of pain and discomfort. And uh, uh, the woman that I had on tour that day was uh, working in the dental field as, I think, a dental hygienist. And she said, I know all about this. And she gave me some insight. And she told me that uh, after that uh, turns into... uh, uh, what you call a fistula, it releases the pressure and a lot of bad rank odor would come out of, of that, uh, that bad abscessed tooth. And so the, the other take-home message is that what we saw is, is wolves, a predator-prey interaction, but what the elk saw, sorry, what the wolves saw was uh, an opportunity that was a little bit easier than the rest. Right. So going back seven days, the wolves that were on the road were going up into the high country where elk were at that time of the year. They got bumped off the road by the people. They got into the woods. They found elk. But mom, this is my interpretation, mind you. I'm not trying to anthropomorphize it too much. But but mom smelled something that was a little bit different. And maybe it was something that she had smelled with previous um, animals that they had taken down, where 
that rank odor of that elk who's now nervous, self-preservation mode kicks in, and she's breathing really heavily uh, and, and trying to lose herself with the rest of the group, the wolf's keen sense of smell clued into something that made it uh, her something different. And so that's the second take-home message, Brian, is that, uh, that wolves are uh, looking for something that's uh, maybe got an issue uh, that is, um, is affecting the animal that we don't see with our human perspective. That was, uh, you really painted a vivid picture in my, I had the Marlon Perkins image in my head, right? That was, that was, uh, that was pretty good. And so this is, I thought maybe this is where you were going. Do you think, uh, the wolves saw you, right? And saw, and saw the, the car, the truck and thought, well, look, we can use that that vehicle as literally a roadblock, drive the elk down, but then maybe she's going to have to veer left or right, and that's going to save some, you know, she's going to have to take some speed off and, and enhance our chances of getting her. Or no, am I, am I giving too much credit to the wolves? No, that's a great question. And actually, uh, I, I didn't, did not incorporate that in, but, but sometimes I do within the story uh, that in, in the elk's mind, she might have been looking at us as an opportunity to thwart those wolves from continuing their chase. If I run to the road and the people, the wolf will not chase me. Maybe that's what was going on in her mind. But what she did not know and what I knew is that this pack of wolves in particular is somewhat conditioned to people. See, they live in the heart of Yellowstone, down near the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone River section, and they're not near a border part of the park. So they their uh, interaction with people has never been negative. We're part of their landscape. We have roads, we make noise, uh, we, uh, but we don't throw food out to them and we don't kill or shoot them. So, so in their eyes, we're just part of the, the, the field and they'll cross the road no problem. That's why they were utilizing the road in the morning to go up where the elk were, in my mind. Right. Why walk through all a bunch of down timber and, and thick woods when you can slowly or easily, very easily, and quietly walk up the road to get to the upper meadows that you're trying to get ac- gain access to. So I think in, in, in the interpretation of the story through my lens and filter is that the wolf could care less about us. They saw us. They knew we were there. Uh, but they, they had an opportunity, and they did not want to let go of it. Uh, so when she took a run and went down to the road, she, she, uh, they did not break stride. They continued right on. Wow. A great story. Uh, well, well, look, I, I, I've... Uh... I've got a, it's going to be hard to top that, but I've got a couple more questions uh, with you and that may, you may have to weave in another story, but much like you, uh, you always want to know what the chef is making for the kids when, when he or she gets home, uh, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, do you, what spots do you take your own family? You mentioned you have a five-year-old, so do we. So what, what spots do you take your family? And then what do you do? I mean, are you putting a fishing line in somewhere? And you know, if it's a, if it's a secret spot, I guess, you know, I, I can't make you tell me, but, uh, you know, what are you doing when you're, when you're with your own kids and how do you, how do you range about? Okay. Well, um, you know, the, the technological world that we have, uh, that's uh, becoming more and more prevalent to, uh, younger generations. Uh, I know she's going to be privy to that at some point in her life. So, uh, I, I thank her grandmother, uh, my mother for showing her how to, uh, push the, uh, play button on the iPad and, and, uh, and, and, you know, getting videos started and playing games. Uh, but, but she's, she's gotten a little bit of that, of course, but, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, 
But uh, living in Gardner, I, I hope she's going to have fond memories of a place that is, is pure wildness right here in Gardner, right at the north entrance to Yellowstone. It's not uncommon to have uh, in winter months bison walking across the bridge and uh, right through town. We had a group of, of uh, 30 bison in our yard when I woke up one morning a few years ago, uh, drinking my coffee, looking out at the bison. Um, we have uh, elk and, and uh, deer in town every day of the year. Uh, and then it gets a little more wild. Sometimes uh, there's a mountain lion sighting or in the fall we have grizzly bears and black bears that show up in town. And it's just part of our, our nature and, and where we live uh, at the at the edge of Yellowstone and, and also U.S. Forest Service as our back door. Um, but where do I take my daughter? Um, in the days that we've spent in Yellowstone, it, te- it, it tends to be a little bit more catered to the north northern range of Yellowstone. That's where you're going to have the most concentration of wildlife, because I think that's what a young kid is, is most uh, connected to is, is seeing animals on the landscape rather than trying to interpret the microbes of a hot yeah. spring or, uh, or, or the vastness of the Grand Canyon right now. So, so I think, um, I think the wildlife is where we tend to, to focus our time. And, uh, I was thinking of a moment in, in time where just outside of Mammoth Hot Springs, we walked down towards the Gardner river and crossed a little suspension bridge that made a fun experience crossing the fast moving spring water spring melts water and uh we were looking for an owl's nest a great horned owl's nest in a in a tree that a friend had told me about and we all of a sudden got a, uh, involved in a in a whole wild scenario of it was the elk calving season and we found a cow elk where we were able to observe her uh very very nervous and so i we talked about it we just interpreted what we saw and her behavior clued us into a nearby coyote and the coyote was sniffing and trying to find that elk calf. So this, this moment of wildness just opened up for us. And, uh, and hopefully that's uh, a memory for her, but you know, as a young five-year-old, we'll see how far it, it, it sticks in the, in the memory banks. But, um, but I think that's what, what we tend to do instead of throwing a fishing line in uh, it's more walk and uh, look and interpret what we find. So, uh, she she identifies at the age of uh, three years old uh, different types of animal scat, <laughs> which <can laughs> sounds sound like our five year old. Yeah, but uh, but it's fun because you know uh, it's it, it tells a story. It tells who's been here, when they were here. So we we are identifying tracks and hair left on snags of a, a tree branch or something, scrapes in a tree. Um, and and just trying to 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 get get involved in in what's around us now. Yeah. Well, listen. What what you just described doesn't only sound cool for a five year old, but it sounds cool for a forty two year old dude. So <laughs> I, it sounded I, that sounds pretty fun to me. Well, look. At, I want to lead right into that. You mentioned this, and this is something. You now we wrestle with. I, you know, Daniel and I wrestle with with Yellowstone, but we also wrestle with a lot of the parks, especially the bigger ones. Is you know what's you know as a tour operator former ranger, what do you suggest as an itinerary for a family, you know, 10 days vacation? Do you suggest, you know, kind of, kind of hitting the greatest hits if you can, or do you suggest something like you said, look, dig into mammoth country, dig into lake country, spend the week there and see whatever you can see. And, you know, come back to Yellowstone next year or two years later or five years later, it's not going anywhere. What, what, what do you suggest? 
so perfect question. And uh, Brian, I would say Yellowstone's definitely not going anywhere until the super volcano blows, but <laughs> don't let that deter you from coming. Um, so um, let's see. Um, a perfect itinerary for a family in my my eyes would be to spend a day with a guide and try to do it early in your in your trip. That'll help set the tone and understanding of the landscape uh, and the resources. And then you can uh, the the guide uh, should also be able to give you some insight into uh, your next couple of days. Give you some intel as to oh definitely don't do that trail at this time of the day or. Or, uh, hey, I just learned something else. You should probably spend some more time over here to, to see what you're looking for. So uh, first is to get a guide uh, to, to start the experience uh, uh, in, a, I guess, a more positive way. And then uh, second would be uh, don't rush it. You just can't come to Yellowstone in a day. A lot of people do try to make that uh, their experience. They're coming from the Dakotas and work their way down through Yellowstone and down into the Tetons on Salt Lake City or down to Denver. Uh, so it's it's a part of the, the, the grand summer experience or trip for the, the West. So I would say slow it down a little bit. And and uh, I think that between Yellowstone and the Tetons, the Tetons are the place with the view. So you go there for the dramatic valley to 13,000 foot mountains and morning and evening light and the wildlife. But but Yellowstone has a lot more variety. The geysers, the, uh, the let's say the thermal areas, the lake area the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, the Mammoth Hot Springs area, the Northern Range with the wildlife diversity. It, it's, uh, it's varied. So how to incorporate all that? I would say in base, have a base camp. Don't go crazy and try to make a lot of different reservations. Have a base camp yeah. and come back in and out of that location. Don't stress yourself out. And I would highly recommend Gardner, Montana, the town where I live. The, why I, the reason for me to say that why why I say that is that uh, that yellow uh, the gardener has quick access to pretty much everything Yellowstone has to offer except for the geysers. That's a little farther to the south, but that's 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 why you spend one day working down along the Firehole River. Uh, another day would be the Grand Canyon area in the lake, and then the third day would be the northern part of the park. So I think it's very easy to have a base camp and spend three days in Yellowstone and not rush. Right. We've, by the way, we've made that same mistake where we've, uh, uh, I mean, it, look, it was, everything worked out fine. And, and the smoky, same thing. We had a few different places we based ourselves out of and just the, and it was camping in the front country and just the hassle of breaking down camp and putting up camp again, just took, took time where rather we'd be touring <laughs> around. So we have, I can attest that we have made, uh, we have made that same mistake. Any great place for the back country you would, you think, or do you, do you take, do you go in there? So um, one thing that I do not do with my tours, with my company, is, is backpacking tours. It's just something that's very uh, committing that, that trying to be a father and a business owner and a tour guide uh, uh, altogether, it, it, it takes too much of my time. So, um, so I do not offer that service, but I would highly recommend places. Um, hiking and, and spending the night in bear country can be a little bit overwhelming for many people, and so having a guide uh, is a good thing. But, uh, but, but there are certain, are companies that will do that, and, and that's maybe a better way to go if you're a little nervous about that. But um, one place uh, that is an easy-to-access campsite, um, and I plan on taking my daughter there at some point, it's just near Indian Creek Campground 
And I think the campsite number is 1B1. And uh, I'm not, don't quote me on that, but, but it's near Indian Creek Campground and you need to get your National Park Service backcountry permit uh, reservation. You can do that in advance or just show up and, and hope the site's available when you, when you get to Yellowstone. But, um, but you do need to, to get a, a permit for that, uh, for any backcountry overnight use in Yellowstone. And that's an easy one because I think it's only a mile and a half in. And so it's easy to do with a kid. You can hike in stuff. And if things go sour, it's easy to walk back to the car. Um, and there's another uh, trail that is uh, Lava Creek Trail near Mammoth Hot Springs. And that also offers a couple campsites. And down near the Old Faithful area is Lone Star Geyser that's been mentioned before. And there's a campsite that's just past Lone Star Geyser. So that's two and a half mile walk in. Uh, plus another couple hundred yards or so. Um, to, it's real easy to get to, and you could be watching uh, the geyser erupt all by yourself because nobody else would be there. Yeah, and a, and a, and a not an arduous way to get away from it all, too. Um, yep. Well, listen, we're, we're getting close to the end. A few more questions, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, especially, you know, Danielle here on the controls is the photographer in the family, and it's something that you share with her. Um so here's a here's the question. What's your favorite season uh, to photograph Yellowstone? My favorite season is uh, the fall. So mm. in autumn, when we get to like maybe the third week of September into early October, the uh, the color changes we have here are nothing like what you have in the state of New York or along the East Coast. But what we do have is the little smattering of aspen and cottonwood trees and the understory starts to turn uh, into shades of uh, uh, um, maroons and reds, and then the tan meadows of the grass. But then the vibrant colors that you get in those the few deciduous trees that we do have, uh, it's like somebody just took a little yellow or orange paint and just gave a little splat there and a little splat over there. And as that mixes into the dark contrast of the evergreen trees that are most predominant in Yellowstone, it's a it's a wonderful time of the year. The temperatures are cool by night, but perfect hiking weather by day. So photography uh, is it's a great time of the year. Um, another highlight would be winter, uh, as you probably experienced on your way down to Old Faithful in the snow coach. You're a little limited because of the cold temperatures, but if you plan accordingly and dress in in, in good layers and from a photographer's perspective, keep your extra camera batteries fully charged and, and in a warm place because the cold temperatures definitely sucks the, the life out of that battery, but put it in a warm pocket and it, it'll come back to life a little bit. Um, but, uh, but photography in wintertime is excellent because, again, the, the key word I think that comes to mind is contrast. Uh, the dark bison on the white uh, snow field or uh, an elk with uh, its antlers, with a, a little blanket of, of snow uh, covering all the points while it's sitting chewing its uh, semi-digested grasses. Um, there, there's a, a red fox pouncing in the white snow, a coyote barking underneath the, uh, the dark uh, bark of a tree. Um, there's a lot of great bits of, of winter photography in Yellowstone, not to mention the, the steam rising out of thermal features on a... Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful bluebird uh, day. Yeah, and so just I, I've got to follow up. Um, what are some favorite locations 
in the park to to set up the camera. I, ob- obviously, there's going to be some wildlife, and then, you know, what are just some picturesque areas that you would recommend to anyone who's uh, who wants to get those priceless pictures? Sure. Um, well, let's start off a little farther on the south side in the in the geyser country, if you will, down there by Old Faithful. Um, there's a, a great uh, couple areas to check out there in in the month of autumn, uh, the month of autumn in September, October. It's uh, it's really great to walk along the Firehole River. The the boardwalks or the, the paved trails are easy access to get you out of the lodges and out to some of those features in the morning light at sunrise or sunset, and easy access back to the warmth of the the lodge. Um, so I'd hi- highly recommend along the Firehole River uh, just for the thermal areas. But a little bit farther to the north, uh, Midway Geyser Basin or Grand Prismatic Spring, that's a very photogenic location. And then a little farther north, Fountain Paint Pots. Fountain Paint Pots has all four thermal features in one location, geysers, hot springs, mud pots, and fumaroles. And it also drops into a big open meadow in the distance. So that can be wonderful landscape opportunities. But then moving farther to the north, um, the photography is great for the wildlife on the northern range of the park. And I'm not going to give away all of my, my little spots, <laughs> but I will say that that uh, anywhere between Mammoth Hot Springs and Lamar Valley, if you keep your eyes open and you're patient, uh, it, it'll work out and, uh, and pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, around the Grand Canyon, uh, there's, there's books that are out there and there's, there's information online, I'm sure, too. Uh, but there's a certain time when a rainbow makes its appearance at the lower falls of the Grand Canyon uh. of the Yellowstone River. And Artist Point at that location, at that hour in the morning during the months of summer, can be phenomenal. It's when uh, that, that seven wonders, the seventh wonder of the world all of a sudden just gets that much better. And it adds a whole other uh, uh, element to it, having the waterfall with a rainbow at the bottom. It only lasts about 10 minutes or so, so you have to uh, plan a, a accordingly, but it is a, a, a great photo opportunity, photography opportunity. Uh, that's great. Well, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, this one question. As you've described this, and I, I think you referenced this at the top, it's hard for me to put, put myself in your shoes, McNeil, in that you're there every day. Do you do you have an appreciation every single day or do you have to remind yourself that, wait, this isn't, this isn't normal. This view is not normal. This, this, uh, you know, seeing, seeing this wildlife in this context is not normal or does it just become part of your everyday, you know, it's, you got to go to work. It's part of your commute in some ways. Do you, do you ever lose that appreciation? No, i never lose that appreciation, Brian. Um, I will say with the, uh, the utmost honesty, um, I never get tired with my job. My father, uh, uh, he gave me a lot of life lessons growing up. And one of those that he gave me was, he said, son, you got to find a job you can go to with a smile on your face. And if you can't, it's not worth going. And not everybody can say that. And I, I understand that. But in my case, uh, I, I chose this as my, my, my world. And, uh, and I'm make, trying to, very hard to make a living out of it. And I never get bored with my day. Uh, it's always a different experience because of the, my guests' questions, their enthusiasm uh, keeps my enthusiasm up, and and it's uh, it's almost you can ask people that have been out with me. Um, I get excited uh, with bison still, and I'm, I'm never uh, you never take it for granted. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. That's it. Um, yes, 
there, there are moments in Yellowstone that are phenomenal. They're my quote National Geographic moments, but I, I never take Yellowstone for granted. It's always something different. The right. different lights, the, the different season. It's it's uh, it's a magical, truly magical place that is like nothing else on this planet. Well, that's a great note to end, uh, and and uh, you know we can't wait to get back. So so thank you again, McNeil Lyons, uh, owner of the tour company Yellowstone Insight. And McNeil, why, why don't you why don't you give us your website address while while you have it on the top of your head? Sure. Thanks very much, uh, Brian. Um, so the website is uh, www.yellowstoneinsight.com, and you can also find more information about what I'm seeing regularly, and you can live vicariously through the uh, social media outlets of Facebook and Instagram uh, by following me there as well and liking and commenting. I love comments, so we'll like what we're, uh, we're seeing out there. So that's just Yellowstone Insight on Facebook and I guess it would be Yellowstone underscore insight on Instagram. You can also just uh, remind people that we have uh, my company. We have year round accessibility to Yellowstone from the northern part of the park. So the interior roads shut down occasionally for the seasonal transition for snow coach vehicles over snow vehicles. But, but we have year round access. And that's what a lot of people uh, that don't do their full homework uh, realize. They think Yellowstone's closed. But Northern Range is always open, so we have access to see Yellowstone's wonders 12 months out of the calendar year. And as Daniel and I could say, Yellowstone in winter, you'll, you'll never forget it. It was, uh, what a trip, trip of a lifetime. Well, Brian and Danielle, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you including me into your podcasts, and, uh, and uh, thanks again. It's been a wonderful conversation. No thank problem. You. Pleasure is all ours. We can't wait to see it back out there. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. Show notes for this episode may be found on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Included in the show notes is a link for McNeil's blog post, Witness to a Wolf Hunt, which includes pictures from the story he told. In addition to finding our podcast on iTunes or otherwise known as Apple Podcasts, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and soon on TuneIn. If you like the show, please help us grow our audience by telling your friends. Write a review. Send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com slash contact. Like us on Twitter and Facebook. And we'd also love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting. So please tag us at hashtag everybodysnationalparks on Instagram from the parks you are visiting. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.